1: Welcome back, folks, here on Big Blue View. It is officially draft week. We are getting close, only a few days away, before we know who the New York Giants have selected as their pick for the future. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Nick Filato and Chris Flum as we are wrapping up our consensus big board discussion. If you happen to see it already, folks, we put out that article. Chris published the article, which covered the full consensus big board that we sat and had two different meetings discussed debated and talked about various prospects and where they fit in certain rounds ranked them all of that good stuff as if we were in our own scouting meeting and today is the defensive board that we are going to break down and talk about so hitting into edge to start ourselves off with as we started the quarterbacks last show we're talking about the guys chasing the quarterbacks no top 10 players which isn't really much of a surprise Because there's not really that de facto Chase Young this season, but some pretty good first round, first to second round players. Jalen Phillips out of UCLA, Azizo Jolari out of Georgia, Quiddy Pay was in that first round group, and then first second consisted of Gregory Rousseau, Jason Owe, and then Joseph Asai. So some interesting guys, some guys that have high upside, some guys that maybe haven't put it all together yet, like Gregory Rousseau, as well as two second-rounders, Joe Tryon and Carlos Basham, in the following category after them.
2: Chris, so I got a question for you, my man. What's up? If Jalen Phillips has no concussion history and say his college trajectory was just kind of of an average prospect who ends up kind of skyrocketing towards the end of uh, his college career, would he be a top-10 pick? Ooh, we're top 10 talent. We should say, because I honestly don't
3: understand why he wouldn't be. Yeah. That's where I am. Like if we had the exact same tape on him and he, you know, never had to leave, you, uh, leave and go to Miami because of the concussions. You know, he never had to medically retire temporarily. He would be a top 10 player for me. And I might just have the highest grade of on him of any defender in this draft class. I think he has the potential, assuming he can stay healthy, to be a special player.
2: Yeah, I mean, he could do everything that you are going to ask him to do. He can play the run. He can rush wide with speed. He can convert speed to power. He can run through you. He just has so much within his arsenal. Uh, He's he's one of my favorite types of players. It's just, like you said, man, it's all going to come down to can he pass physically? And honestly, because he missed that medical combine check, some team doctors, I don't think, got their hands on them. That's going to be problematic for someone like Jalen Phillips. but I'm a huge fan. And then to round up the rest of that first-round group that Joe was talking about, I mean, Aziz Ojolari and Quidi Pay. I mean, I, I like Aziz a lot, and I think Quidi Pei is a high-floor type of player, but I don't see a uh, high ceiling within this Patrick Ram system. I do believe he could be a good 4-3 base type of end, but I don't know if he's going to be you know, dropping into the boundary and, do, and doing some of the things that Patrick Graham has, although I do like – I do feel like a lot of people are lower on Quiddy Pay just because they don't view him as all that sexy, but I think he's going to come into the NFL
3: and still be a good football player. Yeah, exactly. I would really like him if Spags was still the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. You know, just as that base 4-3 defensive end, seven technique, maybe nine, maybe a little nine technique, maybe slide inside on, you know, real obvious passing downs. And I think he's got upside in that system, but in a defense that asks the edge guys to do so, so much to play from so many different alignments, so many different stances. Yeah. I think he's just a little bit limited. Now that isn't to say you couldn't scheme around that. I, I really feel a good defensive coordinator should be able to do that. But yeah, I think the other guys have just a little, a little bit more versatility and upside in this particular system from what we have seen from it.
1: And, and I feel like with this, with this edge class, they're, It's one of the harder groups to predict where everybody's going to go. There's a lot of question marks. You talked about Jalen Phillips. There's guys like Gregory Rousseau. Depending on how teams value him, he could go higher than some other players or he could end up sliding into the second round. Could end up lasting a decent amount of time in the second round just based on if teams are willing to take that, that chance on a guy that's physically pretty gifted, just hasn't really put it all together in terms of having some pass rush moves. For me, though, it almost seems like there's probably not going to be that many edge players that even go in the first round. Most of these guys are going to be going on day two. And then the separate thing here is day three. You've got some okay prospects that we can you know, see as being rotational players. And also in the third round, the guys that we had listed, Quincy Roche, Ronnie Perkins, Peyton Turner as third rounders, and then fourth rounders, Hamilcar Rashid Jr., Patrick Jones, Jordan Smith, Deo Odingbo, and then Ellerson Smith. So uh, a bit of a different group than that first tier. And I think most of these guys for the most part are maybe not going to be obviously a a premier 10 sack plus guy, but could be a nice rotational pass rusher on your team. If your, if your team just needs a little depth coming off the edge. If you look at
2: even our second round guys too, Joe Tryon and Carlos Basham are the two guys in the sound tier. I wouldn't be shocked if either of them do end up going in the first round because Joe Tryon, I mean, opted out of the 2020 season, so that might slide him down a little bit, but he has that Montez sweat just type of size uh, measurements type of uh, awe to him, I guess you could say. And then Boogie Basham, a team like the Green Bay Packers, can draft him and use him all along their front along with Kenny Clark. I think that's somebody who might make sense. So I wouldn't even be shocked if some of those players even you know, up end up getting bumped up into the first round. And then you could say the same for the third round guys into the second round. I would not be shocked if Houston's Peyton Turner with his length and just overall movement ability, especially after what he tested at his pro day, doesn't slide into the second round. Ronnie Perkins a little bit more of a, just a, I'm just going to not as a, I guess you could say scheme, uh, versatile, but somebody who has violent hands, has pop, can rush the passer, has really good tape against Tevin Jenkins. I wouldn't be shocked if he squeezes into the second round. I've seen him mock to the Giants a lot. I don't love that at uh, in the second round, to be honest. I pick 42. I think there's probably going to be better value there, maybe even better
3: edge rushers, but still definitely a player on day two that uh, a lot of teams can look at. And just before we move on, I want to call out a couple guys who could be sleepers. Guys, I want to watch and see where they land. And that's uh, Hamilcar Rashid Jr. out of Oregon State and Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. Rashid Jr., he did not have a very good year last year, but his 2019 film was just monstrous. That dude was all over the field, and he was a legitimate problem for offenses. If he could be that guy again at the NFL level, that could be a steal for some lucky defense and then ellerson smith the just the sheer athleticism that that guy brings and he jumped off the field at the senior ball. also you know it's just something to maybe note the espn football outsider saxier machine actually predicted him to be the second best pass rusher at least until they factored in likely draft position among any of these edge rushers. They had him only just behind Jalen Phillips. So he could be a potential gem in the mid to late rounds.
1: Now, as we transition to talking the guys in the interior, the defensive linemen, this group, as we mentioned with the edge, not really any top tier guys. Things are a lot worse for this defensive tackle group as we didn't even have anybody listed in the first round category, let alone the top 10. The highest-rated player that we had was Alabama's Christian Barmore in that first-second group, and we all kind of agreed that if someone goes in the first round, it might be Barmore. Um, you keep hearing the possibility of Levi on Muzurike from Washington, but there's also a pretty good chance that nobody even goes in the first round out of this defensive tackle group. Following Barmore, we did have Levi on Muzurike, Tyler Shelvin out of LSU, Tommy Tongai um, as that second round group and then just also hitting on the third rounders we had a decent crop of guys alan mcneil jay tufele marlin tuai pelotu cam sample davion nixon and then milton williams so I, i think that the general gist here guys with the defensive tackle group is just not really a star player. There's going to be some good guys that step in and have good contributions to whatever defense they're on, but we're not in a situation where we have a Derek Brown like we had last season.
2: No, absolutely not. And, you know, Dave Gettleman is probably really upset about that fact, but Christian Barmore <laughs> probably, highlights, probably highlights the group, I would say, just because he has that dynamic ability to penetrate one gap, has the size now I think a reason why he's not a consensus first round pick is because he came on late in the 2020 season and kind of put a lot of good tape together in a short amount of time. And it just isn't really overly consistent with a player like him. So that's going to give some pause. And also it's an interior defensive lineman. A lot of the NFL doesn't value them like someone, Dave Gettleman, like Dave Gettleman (laughs) basically does. So. I think think Barmore is interesting. I I really like Levi uh, Urique from Washington. Wish he didn't opt out of the 2020 season, but that's his prerogative. Went down to the senior bowl. I thought he was solid down there, but didn't necessarily solidify himself as a first-round pick. He's another one who's just one of those one-gap penetrators who wins with upfield burst. And uh, cutting off angles for interior defensive lineman, using his hands well to keep his chest clean and has some good bend and can get horizontal, reduce the surface area, do all those things that you look for. Whereas Tyler Shelvin is not that. Tyler Shelvin is a mountain (laughs) of a man who is about literally 360 pounds, who just sits at nose and eats up blocks and just commands the A-gap. Now, there's some... Uh, there's some conditioning issues with him, I guess you could say, which is, you know, which that's what you would imagine for like a 355 pound defensive tackle. He's another one who opted out of the 2020 season, but he's somebody that I feel like would fit well to replace Dalvin Tomlinson and just eat blocks. He's actually a really fun watch. Chris, did you get to, you get around to Tyler Shelvin's film?
3: Oh yeah. I mean, this is the giants we're talking about. Of course I got to Tyler Shelvin, (laughs) 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 any defensive tackle large enough to have his, have a noticeable gravitational field you you have to watch
1: (laughs) (laughs) so so hitting on the uh the fourth round guys we only had two other players uh marvin wilson and then osa oedigizua and and marvin wilson interesting name to consider because he was very highly considered before the season a lot of people talking about how he was this uh elite defensive tackle the derrick brown of the class and now here he is slotted in the fourth round, and I, I made the comparison to Lewis Nix, uh, kind of with Marvin Wilson, who Lewis Nix was very highly regarded as possibly being a top ten pick, and then all of a sudden after the season, he's a nobody. You know, he's not really that same tier of prospect, and those are the remaining players that we had in this kind of iffy defensive tackle group.
3: I was gonna say. Th- the one thing that you do notice about this defensive tackle group is how many of those kind of undersized penetrators, you know, like what Nick was saying about uh Levi he guys who they don't have that classic 310 pound frame, they're really more in the 290 area, but they're really quick, they can get upfield, they use that athleticism to make their plays rather than just being big dudes.
2: Yeah, like Cam Sample slides into that. He's more of an edge. But I wanted to bring up like Marvin Wilson just a little bit too cuz he's one of those one of these many Florida state defenders who just they went to school highly regarded and they just were never really maximized by the coaching staff. So a team takes a risk on in the fourth round of a player like this. I mean, that could be a high upside type of pick because the talent was there going into college, it just never really was uh, exactly what you hoped it would be, and you can say that about a lot of Florida State players, just in general. Not even just the defense. I mean, Asante Samuel Jr. is probably the one that definitely like lived up to the hype.
1: So, continue into now talking some linebackers, the off-ball group, which is a position group that the Giants are likely going to be eyeing, and if anything, they're probably going to be selecting somebody at some point to to try to bolster this linebacker group, somebody to play alongside Blake Martinez. And you can probably guess, folks, Micah Parsons was our top 10 tier linebacker. He might not get selected there because of some possible off the field concerns, maybe more value on the offensive players in this class. We also had Jeremiah Usakoramoa koromoa as the only player in our first round group. And then a fun name, Zaven Collins in the first, second group as well as Jamin Davis, Jabril Cox, and Nick Bolton as our second rounders. So a lot of dynamic guys, a lot of different skill sets in here. It's not really a, a, a similar grouping. There's a lot of guys that can do a ton of different things. Which is
2: uh, a wild, too, because Michael Parsons could be in for a slide, depending on what comes out with his uh, quote-unquote character concerns. We have him as a top-ten talent, and I think that's safe. I mean, he'd be arguably the highest-ranked defensive player, but... Would you be shocked Jeremiah Wusu koromoa ends up going over him because of all that?
1: I could possibly see it. I think if maybe you end up in a situation where he starts to slide, somebody might just say, hey, you know what, we're not going to deal with that stuff. We'd rather get the somebody who's going to help our secondary and going to be a little bit more of a coverage player. I, I wouldn't say that's impossible.
3: No, it could be a situation where some teams start to look at him as okay, what do these other teams know? Why is this guy falling? You know, we should let somebody else make that mistake. And if he winds up being good, you know, kind of, oh, well, you know, almost like a reaching back away. So like a Randy Moss type situation. But you all saw how that played out. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So talking about some of these other off-ball linebackers we have, and we had an interesting conversation about the Ohio State linebackers as we kind of agreed, we thought Pete Warner was a little bit better than Baron Browning, despite some serious hype of Baron Browning being the best second round linebacker. Instead, we went Pete Warner, uh, Chaz Serrat out of UNC, Connor McGrone from Michigan, and then Baron Browning. So a little bit different from the consensus of just the national landscape of ranking these linebackers. Uh, Derek Barnes and Charles Snowden fit into the fourth round equation, but it's worth noting another similar style to what. Or situation to happen Marvin Jones, or Marvin uh, Wilson rather, Dylan Moses ends up being a fourth rounder at the top of the fourth round, despite being talked about as being the an elite linebacker prospect, some people considering him to be better than Micah Parsons before the season, and now suddenly everybody realizes the guy's not very good at reading much in front of him. He doesn't move as well as he used to because of an injury, so he's clearly not really that same guy. He's more of a fourth rounder.
2: Yeah, the whole Dylan Moses thing is is, uh, it's unfortunate because he suffered through a lot of knee injuries and lower body injuries, and it didn't ever seem like it fully clicked. Like you said, his keen diagnosing ability. So we have him down there in the fourth round. I mean, somebody could take a take a shot on him just because he had a lot of potential at one point, but the, the tape just doesn't necessarily check that out, and the athleticism is a little bit zapped. But um, I wanted the Chris. Did you get the, any of Jamin Davis's tape?
3: No, I wasn't able to. Okay. I wasn't able to find enough to do a proper report.
2: Yeah. I I understand that. I mean, he's somebody who's been skyrocketing up boards. And I wanted to touch on those second round guys because I I find them a little um, fascinating just because Nick Bolton's built as more of the. Ah, uh, first, second down guy. How good is he going to be in coverage? Whereas Jabril Cox is that coverage more the the linebacker that we are seeing more in the NFL, where they can cover and they can play safety and all those kind of hybrid type of defenders. Jamin Davis has that upside as well to be a coverage type of guy. But from the little bit of film that I did see on him, I didn't see necessarily a player who saw the field
3: excellently. I saw someone who was a little bit raw but has a lot of upside due to his athletic ability. Yeah, I think of those guys, what I've seen, I've, you know, got a good look at Nick Bolton. I got a good look at Jabril Cox. I really liked watching Cox play. Yeah, you know, he moved around the field really, really well. I honestly wish LSU was better last year. You know, if they had Tyler Shelvin on the field, if they had Jamar Chase and that buzzsaw of an offense they had back in 2019, I Cox could actually have probably worked his way up into that first, second, or maybe even first round range. But overall, I really like the off-ball linebackers in this class. You know, I really liked watching Pete Werner. I love Chaz Surratt. Cameron Grone, he was fun. And then, you know, Baron Browning, I could see where the hype was with him. He's got all the height, weight, speed, athleticism. But, you know, I I think we did nail it with Pete Werner being ahead of him because, you know, he almost reminded me of Chris Borland back, you know, that really great first year with the 49ers before he retired and then him coming out of school. Yeah. And uh,
2: for those of you who don't know, Jabril Cox, he wasn't on the 2019 LSU team. He transferred there from North Dakota state. So that's kind of like why we're not talking about his you know, iconic play next to Patrick Queen or anything like that from the 2019 season. But Cameron McGrone, dude, I, I think that's somebody who the Giants could target and would potentially steal a job from Tate Crowder if they were to trade back and get more picks on towards the end of day two and into early day three, because he's a smart linebacker who Don Brown used a lot in their blitzing packages coming through the A-gap, looping around on their stunts. So he's somebody I uh, I find interesting if the Giants don't attack the linebacker position early on.
1: Yeah, if Parsons is, doesn't end up being that that first round pick, that would make a lot of sense to maybe go with Cameron McGrone somewhere on day two. And I, I think if you end up waiting until after day two, you're just doing a repeat of last season of selecting all those linebackers, and you know none of those guys turned into starters. So that's probably not the best avenue for them to go. I feel like if they're going to try to address it, it would probably be sometime on day two if they don't end up uh, picking Micah Parsons. We're going to talk some secondary, but before we do, folks, we're just going to take a really short commercial break.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Starting up the secondary conversation with cornerbacks, we only had two top 10 players, and that seems to be a, a, a consistent take that we're seeing. Patrick Sertain, JC Horn, in no particular order as our top 10 guys, One of them will probably go, probably not both, but you'll still get a talented corner based on who you end up selecting. Caleb Farley fell behind uh, those guys in the first round category. could possibly have been higher if it wasn't for the back injury that he's dealing with. And then Greg Newsome, who's been a big riser lately, included in our first round group. Eric Stokes, the only first second player. And then our two second-round corners, a Faitou Mellon-Fonwu out of Syracuse and Tyson Campbell as the other guy. So really talented group at the top, but I I think one thing's pretty clear here. All the guys that we listed, it's actually a pretty deep corner class. There's some pretty good options that if the Giants wanted to say, hey, you know, we're not going to draft J.C. Horn at 11, but we just want a little extra depth for the future and, and so we're secure in a number of spots, they could take a corner really anywhere from... Uh, from day one to day two, heck, even day three.
2: Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of talent here in the corner group, and there's different body types as well. I mean, you have guys who are more slots, maybe a little bit smaller, could also drop the safety like an Elijah Molden, from Washington, Aaron Robinson from UCF, who ended up being a lot smaller than a lot of people expected. And then Asante Samuel Jr., who's a stud in man coverage. Then you have longer type of guys like Ifitu melon from Syracuse. Definitely looks like he's just going to be primed for a cover three Seattle Seahawks type of defense. Benjamin St. Just another really long player who's fluid in space and can execute man coverage assignments. But then you look at the top, Joe and Chris. I mean, well, first off,
3: Chris, let me ask you this. Is your top corner JC Horn? Actually, I have Horn and Sertain tied. Ooh. And that's not as a cop out, because I think they Patrick Sertain brings a little bit more to the table right now. He's a little bit higher floor guy. He's got a little bit more well-rounded game. But JC Horn has that athletic upside. He's just a he's just a more athletic player. Yeah, I I like his feet and hips a little bit better, and he's got more upside as that press man corner. And we know how valuable press man coverage is. So, you know, it really does come down to me. Like, what are you looking for? Do you want a guy who can come in and play zone, play man, you know, do all of those things well, then certain's your guy. If you want a guy who can come in and okay, maybe not literally, although maybe literally punch a receiver in the mouth and get in his hip pocket and stay there all game long. That guy's JC Horn and Both of those are valuable. And I think it really just comes down to what team is picking when.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think Caleb Farley and Greg Newsome are awesome, are also excellent names to kind of bring up here. Farley has this back injury, looks like it's making him slide. But when you watch this film, it's like, wow, dude's that long and that big are not supposed to move that well. He's very, very interesting. Obviously, did not see him in 2020 either because he opted out. And then Greg Newsome, I mean, a lot of people that I really respect, and I didn't find too much Northwestern defense, But a lot of people I really respect really, really love his game. the little film that I did see from all 22, like he does not struggle executing any of those man coverage assignments, any of those movements. He can really drive downhill. He can flip his hips and drop to the middle of the field. If he has to, he drives well towards the sideline. I mean, uh, I really like what what he has to offer as well. I mean, these, these
3: top four cornerbacks, you know, injuries, that's,
2: that's something, but they're uh, they're very, very interesting to me.
3: Yeah, really. I I think it is kind of interesting that, are two guys who you know Newsom was a riser Caleb Farley is a bit of a faller both of them had their injury issues and that's kind of why they're viewed as they are with Farley in particular it's actually impressive how well he played in 2019 considering at least for part of that season he was dealing with those back problems I believe he had a herniated disc and also a bulging disc and he was still moving that well.
2: He's also new to the position too. He's he was a quarterback in high school and then started his time at Virginia Tech as a receiver. So there's just a lot of growth there.
1: So we also we ended up talking about some of these slot corners that we had listed and we didn't have that many of them so I kind of glazed past them. But you talked about Asante Samuel Jr. who we had in the first round. We had Elijah Molden in the second but the remaining group of corners, including both the regular cornerbacks and the slot corners, third round was Paulson Adebo, Trill Williams, Benjamin Saint Just, and Kelvin Joseph. Uh, Aaron Robinson, Sean Wade were the two slot guys, and then our fourth rounders: uh, O Elijah Griffin, and then Keith Taylor, Robert Rochelle, and Ombré Thomas. And again, as I said. Some pretty good depth here throughout the the remaining rounds on our big board. And there could be some pretty decent options if they just want to add an extra piece here or there.
2: Absolutely. And Omri Thomas... And Trill Williams may not be those like outside boundary type of corners. Trill Williams, a lot of people view him, he could be a safety. He's just a very versatile type of athlete that has played a lot of different positions for Syracuse. I kind of wish they just stuck him at one position and had him learn it because it did seem like he was a, a little bit raw, but he's definitely interesting. And then Thomas opted out of the 2020 season, but going back to 2019, he played outside for Michigan, but his... His size and his length may relegate him to the slot, and I think he's going to be a successful player here in the uh, day three parts of the draft, And as as will Elijah Griffin, who may have to play slot as well. And I believe he's Warren G's son, which is also uh, pretty cool. Yes, draft
1: fans. he is. He is. So now wrapping things up with our safety group, and similar to last season, or last draft class, rather, we don't really have a guy that is going to be a, f- a clear first-rounder. We don't really have a, a for-sure-guaranteed head of the group but Trevon Moerig seems to be the one standing ahead of everybody else and he was the only guy that we had given a first round grade more likely than not there's a pretty good chance that Trevon MoRig might not even get drafted in the first round like we saw last year with the safety group even though there was some talented options those guys got passed up on and then there was a run that happened in the second round Second-round group that we did have, though, Javon Holland, Richie Grant, Andre Sisco, Hamza nassilar Dean and our third-rounders, Talanoa Hufunga, Jamar Johnson, James Wiggins, and then Joshua Bledsoe. So not a really elite group, but a bunch of different skill sets and body types, like you talk about Hamza nassilar Dean being this big, long guy, uh, and you've got all these different guys that can do a lot of things, kind of like the linebacker group I was talking about earlier, but not necessarily elite players in this group.
2: Two guys that stand out to me, Chris and Joe, I would say is UCF's Richie Grant and Syracuse's Andre Sisco, two different types of players. Richie Grant is somebody who can come down and run support and stick you if he has to, but he actually shows impressive range for a guy who's not built like an ideal safety, but he also plays really, really smart. Went down to the senior bowl. It was just an absolute nuisance for every quarterback that he went up against during the game and in practice. So Richie Grant really showed a lot of positive things. And I think he's somebody who could be selected early on day two and really help a secondary. Whereas Andre Sisco is has he has those ideal measurements that I was referring to in terms of he has the height, he has the length and you look at him you're like, Oh dude, that guy is a safety. And he also has the range to kind of play the center field in a cover one system and, and really try to, you know, stress divider lines and stuff like that, because he can put his foot in the ground and just explode as good linear athletic ability, as well as, Um, his athletic ability with his agilities and his footwork and stuff like that. I believe that he can really show flexibility in those areas. Also does well with ball skills, kind of high pointing the ball, winning at the catch point brings physicality in that manner. So I I really like
3: Andre Cisco there in the second round as well. Yeah. uh, You brought up Richie Grant. I loved watching his tape. He was just everywhere for that defense. And he was kind of everywhere at the senior ball too. And you you talk, I think he could play, deep middle or deep half. I think he could play close to the line of scrimmage. I think he could even fill in some slot defender if you needed him to. You know, I, I thought he had really quick feet, really fluid hips for a safety. And, you know, he's a guy you never really have to take off the field. And that's valuable. Also, Hobson uh, Dean, he is an interesting guy to me just because of his size and athletic profile. You know, he, we saw a few safeties last year that really blur the line between safety and linebacker. And I think Dean is another one of those guys and they are increasingly valuable in the NFL with, you know, all of these spread concepts and air raid concepts and just everything bubbling up from college, having guys who can really man like a heavy nickel, you know, a three safety set and still give you some of that physical presence of a third linebacker is really nice to have.
1: And then our final group, our fourth rounders, Divine Diablo, Israel Mukwamo, who we had a little bit of a debate on if, you know, is this guy a a corner? Is he going to be a safety? And we all kind of agreed. I wouldn't consider it a debate because we agreed uh, he's a little bit too stiff and big to be playing corner in the NFL, probably better off transitioning uh, our Darius Washington teammate of Travon Morig, Paris Ford who's had a little bit of a, a drop uh, since the start of the draft cycle and then Brady Breeze was our final one again. I just I feel like the safety group it it has a decent depth. It's got some quality guys in the middle rounds. I just think overall it's a little bit underwhelming and you know that's okay. It's we didn't have a, a an elite group last year. We had a lot of good guys that that went on day 2. Uh, and I think that's going to be the case again this season.
2: Yeah, I think Divine Diablo is the one that's really interesting because he's new to playing the safety position. Safety position is a very, very uh, commanding position in terms of your mental processing ability. And he was actually recruited to play Wide receiver at Virginia Tech as well, so that's kind of funny, to be honest. We were just talking about Caleb Farley earlier, but this guy is three, like 225 pounds. He'll be excellent in those dime-dollar sub-package rules. You can bring him down in the box, and that's kind of where the NFL is trending. So I think Divine Diablo is actually a pretty good addition if he's
3: sitting there in the fourth round to bring in. And at the very least, he should excel on special teams. And also, just talk about those big, long safeties. Irsyiru Mukamu—he was the cornerback opposite JC ah. Horn. But at six foot four, two hundred and twelve pounds with thirty-four inch <laughs> arms, that dude's a safety. <laughs> like that—that is a big guy to be playing cornerback. And if he can do that reasonably well at the college level, he should be solid at the safety position.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's much debate there. And I, I would be shocked if he ends up playing corner at the next level. I I don't think there's a lot of teams that are going to be saying, you know what, this guy we really like what he has as a corner. We're going to keep this monstrously large human being playing outside instead of asking him to play safety, but uh, we'll see what ends up happening with him. We're also going to see what ends up happening with this Giants pick, which is coming up very soon. Thursday is when we'll know who is the future of the Giants franchise and possibly a missing piece that could lead to some huge steps forward for this Giants team. Folks, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review and also head to uh, bigblueview.com. Follow us on social media at Big on Twitter and Instagram and head to our YouTube channel as well. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Stay tuned for more draft content coming your way.
0: You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully, those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC on home Mom? The <laughs> no, you can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method haircare products.